1: Given the 11 years of my life to the club, I felt I deserved some a little bit of loyalty there, and it didn't happen. I am Greg Downs, and this is my Night City story. I started playing football probably from the age of about five at my local junior school in Northamptonshire. Yeah, I was born in Nottingham, uh, but I then moved after and about a year down, ended up in Northamptonshire, uh, a place called Higham Ferrers. And I went to a school called Weavers School, which at the time was well over a technical grammar school. That's unusual for a football to be a bit of grammar school. But um, yeah, so I started there and um, I must admit I was under the tutelage of the P Master Boy Pilling, who was He's like a second father to me. You know, my parents uh, separated when I was only eight and uh, he was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. You know, and he, as I say, he became like a second father to me really. And uh, my career went on and I played for the county and things as you do like that. And then um, when I was 15, I got invited up to Norwich for trial. Um, I came up here literally on New Year's day, would you believe, 1974 and literally that same way I saved for a week, because that was obviously the, the school holidays. I trained for a week with the team. The uh, youth team coach at that time was a chap called Fred Davis. Again, great coach, and again, great mentor. You know, it was old school in the sense of, you know, you play hard, but you look after yourself, and you behave yourself type of thing. So it was a good grounding for me when I came up. And I signed schoolboy forms, and straight away started playing for the youth team um, at only 15. Uh, and at that time, they were in the Eastern Counties League. And again, it, I think it was a good grounding for you because it was, you know, was a hard league. You know, they'd look at uh, this Norwich City A-team, as they called it in those days. And, uh, you know, the average age of the team was about 16, 17. And you learnt to take a few knocks fairly quick. Before the end of that season, I'd even played a few games in the reserves. So I can remember playing, Say, I played in reserves even when I was only 15, which was, you know, quite good. And in those days, I have to say, I keep forgetting, it, I was a centre forward. I came as a centre forward, I scored many goals, I, I can remember one season at school I got 120 goals one season, you know, because again I was playing like three years up, as it were, so I was I was always a good goal scorer in that sense and came here and I scored goals, I was leading score for the youth team, then for the reserves and so it went, but I was getting a bit frustrated because obviously then the years go by as it were and I suddenly get into like 17, 18 and I'm still stuck in the reserves and you want to try and push on as much as you can and then... Um, in 1977, I got the chance to go to America and play for a team called Connecticut Bicentennials. Sounds corny, doesn't it? But it was an experience. You know, I played uh, that season. I played against the New York Cosmos, which included Beckenbauer and Pele. I know, incredible, isn't it? I was a sweet 18 with, by the way, I did have hair once and hair was down to here. and. Um, a little bit disappointing out there because they, because again, I think I wasn't uh, like a strapping lad, as it were, you know, six foot lad. So they ended up playing quite a lot on the left hand side, which was a bit frustrating for me. So couldn't get where I want. And funny enough, the, the few times they did play me up front, I scored every time. You sort of think, well, come on, put me up front. But I came back to Norwich, and um, and things seemed to work. You know, by sort of the next Easter, I got to, got into the first team, played a couple of games up front. Uh, I probably had the three worst debuts you could have. Um my debut itself for, for Norwich was away to Burnley in the League Cup. Um John Bondy was the manager at the time and had a fallout with Viv Busby, He was the centre forward at the time, and I played up front. We lost 3-1. That's a great start. My next game, could you believe it, my which is my league debut, was away at Ipswich. What a league debut that is. And uh Again, I, play up, I remember playing up front with Kevin Reeves that day, and I think I had about three kicks in the whole game. I think two were from Beattie, and one was from Hunter. You know, I don't think I touched the ball hardly the whole game. We lost four nil, and my home debut was Leeds United, so it was it was a bit of a baptism of fire, really. You know, coming into it, and then all of a sudden, I can remember it was uh, there was snow on the ground, and uh, <clears throat> all the players had been asked to go down there, and you can see it nowadays, couldn't you? That, you can't see it happening nowadays that players would actually turn up and help clear the ground. But we were all asked to go down and we were all there. And, and it was at that time, Mel Maitre said to me, they'd just sold um, Ian Davis to Newcastle. And they sort of said to me, have you ever thought about going left back? Because the previous season, my goals had dried up. Um, you can look for excuses. I mean, I often say it was because in that season, I played up front with Peter Osgood, who came here on loan, and Martin Chivers. Now, unfortunately, those two chaps as wonderful players that they were, and great people as well, I have to say that. They weren't going to run too far. And it was a case of, like, the ball went in the channel. Greg, get after that one. So I ended up chasing two channels, and then they said, we well, goals were dried up. I said, well, I can't do both things. Can I? I can't get, chase the channels and get in the box. So the goals dried up a bit then. But it, in a way, it was a blessing in disguise, I suppose, in, in one way. Um, I'd been on loan down to Torquay. I scored on my debut league that was actually my league debut against Rochdale I'd scored on my debut there with a little 25 yard volley it's funny I remember these things isn't it? it didn't happen too often and then as I say I went back to left back I only played I think about 15 games in the reserves at left back and got in the first team and uh, the rest as I say it's history it's um, just developed I ended up playing the next season I think I played about 21-22 games at left back and I thought I did okay and yet at the end of the season it was quite strange really. I got um, told that, that they were letting me go. And I thought, well, I've just broken through here. What's going on? And anyway, we reported back for pre-season training. I still had a year left on my contract anyway. And I played all the pre-season games. And then I can remember we were playing Ipswich away because they used to have that Will Hire Cup at that time. And I think if we beat Ipswich, we won the Will Hire Cup sort of thing. And I thought, well, I'm getting fed up with this. I don't know where I'm coming or going. So I had a good chat with John Bond out on the training pitch at Traus. And typical John Bond style, he just said, You ain't going anywhere. He said, Then I've got to play politics. He says, The the squad's too big, the board are moaning, I've got to be seen to try and be let someone go. He says, So he said, Oh, by the way, he says, Go down to the ground now, there's a new contract waiting for you. Weird the way things happen, you know. So that was it. And then then it went on from there. And uh, I ended up, I think I played uh, just over 200 games for Norwich in the end, which so it wasn't a bad thing. Although part of me still says, in my mind, I think I could have still made it as a centre forward if I'd had those breaks, you know. So it's, it's a little bit thing that wrangles with you, but um, it happens and you, you just get on with it, you know, as a professional. So, yeah, so I stayed on for some time there. Right. Oh, dear me, look at that. Young man, full head of hair. Yeah, the people, that was my home debut against Leeds United um, as a centre forward. Chasing after all with Paul Maidley and just behind him in the in the background there was uh, brian flynn uh ex-burnley and leeds midfielder we drew the game 2-2 from what i remember correctly um i wouldn't say i had the greatest game in the world again it was uh it's quite strange but it's it's funny when you look back isn't it because behind us is the barclay end you know which was all standing in those days but of course, that again was when they had to try and segregate the crowds because of trouble. and Because obviously back in the late 70s, there was a lot of trouble, unfortunately, at football grounds. So uh, I think the hair was probably starting to go then. But um, I don't know. It's, uh, but it's quite a good one. Because again, I, I rated Paul Maly as Paul one of the best centre-halves he's ever been. But again, he, was, he could play anywhere, couldn't he? But he was a class player. But it's funny that game actually. And, it, and it, maybe I don't know, I think it's how the game has changed then. Because I can remember having to uh, chase... Uh, Trevor Cherry, who, who, who played right back for Leeds at that time, and I was trying to block him off. He was just exuberant, you know, trying to get. And I think I caught him as he played it up the line. Well, it took him about two minutes before I went up in the air, laying down again, and he leant over me, more or less said, uh, Next time, young man, bleep, 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 bleep. And I went and played right wing for about five minutes. <laughs> but it was a different game in those days, you know, you had to look after yourself because you knew they were going to look after you. Uh, yeah, I've still got the same, same figure. <laughs> I wish. I can remember clearly, I, I signed on March the 15th, 1975. God, of sounds a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, and there was, Ian Davis was just at the end, I've already mentioned, he was at the end of his apprenticeship and then got into the first team. Dougie Evans, who still lives local, was an apprentice there, Kevin Bond. And there was a few Bristol lads who, to be fair, none of them unfortunately went on to do anything about it. So it was quite a strange thing, really, because I ended up for the rest of my career at, at Norwich, almost like an in-betweener, that I wasn't one of the players that they'd bought in for money, and I wasn't one of the young kids. I, the ones who came in just after he's sort of two years younger than me, was like Peter Mendham, Phil Lithgow, Greg Shepherd. They came in two years later, so I, I was almost like the one, the odd one out. You know, I wasn't like one of the senior players, I wasn't one of the kids. And I must admit, I always felt, it sounds strange, but I never really felt as if I was accepted as being one or the other, you know, because the young lads were going out and about, as it were. The older lads had the money, as it were. And it was was a strange situation for me. Plus, I got married young. I got married at 22. And, um, yeah, I don't think I ever felt as if I was really part of it, even though I, I gave 11 years of my life to Norwich City, you know, which in this day and age is almost unheard of
0: with Mel Machin, so I want to know about what it was like when he was talking to you about switching position, but also what he was like to work with and how, how he coached you through that.
1: Yeah, it was, it was quite strange. When, As I said, you know, we were clearing the ground up and you know, I, got, I thought I got on okay with Mel, You know, I like Mel, I thought he was a great coach, um, very deep thinking, sometimes I have to say to his detriment in a sense because whilst he was a great coach, had great ideas and the training sessions were great. I th- always felt that Mel struggled a little bit at time to put his point across because he was so deep as a person. Um, but it, it, it was obviously something that he'd discussed with John Bond at the time. Um, you know, I was, I was rattling John Bond's door every sort of uh, month saying, you know, why aren't you playing me? Why? You know, like, as you do as a young kid, you want to get on with your career. I'd been to Torquay. Torquay wanted to sign me. Um, and John Bond said, no chance, which is... Yeah, it gives you a little bit of a, a fillip as it were but um i just felt my career wasn't going anywhere as it were at night city because at that time you had kevin reeves um i'm not sure if you had vid busby there at the time you had a lot of other players were at the club um uh, robson was there people like that and you suddenly look and they brought roger gibbons along and you suddenly looked at and I thought oh, it was about fifth in line i thought well quite hang on this is I was still trying to score goals, I was still playing, I thought I was playing okay in the reserves, but not really getting that chance. And I thought, you know, I was 19 at the time, and, and it's, you know, football's a short career, and before you know it, you can just carry on, and then suddenly bang, you dropped off the edge. So when he said go back to left-back, I thought, the actual quote Mel used, which was quite strange, was, um, you got a cracking left foot and you're nasty enough. I don't know how he meant that, I thought, it was me thinking I was quite a nice lad, but. Uh, he obviously saw some sort of tenacity in me that I didn't mind leaving my foot in, as it were. I didn't mind putting a tackle in. And, and I think, yeah, actually it did me a good stick going back to left back because, again, I have to say, as a centre forward, I was the biggest moaner in the world. I was dreadful. You know, if the, if the full-back didn't deliver the ball where I wanted it, God, oh, I'd give him some some stick. But I think that stood me a good stead because now when I had the ball at my feet trying to deliver that same ball i required, I knew where it should go. And... I must admit, one of the things I, you know, Ken Brown, who, when he took over, I must admit, he and I didn't really see eye to eye. Um, but the one thing he did say was that I probably had the best left leg in the, in the club, as it were, you know, delivery and he always used to say, it was the best cost of the ball. Again, I, I still feel that came from being a centre forward, that I knew where the ball needed to be. And so again, and I used to, and I must admit, I used to practise and practise and practise. You know, the team would, you know, training would finish, I'd be out there again got to practice it and the same with free kicks I can remember seeing Ted McDougall as a kid you know when he struck a ball the ball was still rising as he hit the net as a 16 year old when Ted was there and I first joined when I hit a ball it was dipping into the net and I kept then how'd he get that you know he's not that much bigger than me so I used to practice it's all about technique and about the way you hit the ball and eventually I suppose in a way I suppose I got known as a little bit of a, a free kick that you know I can hit the ball from free kicks scored a few long range ones and that was purely from as a young kid practicing i've got to strike the ball properly and again that helped me when i was delivering the ball oh my goodness well well, there we go well i'm guessing that's taken at the training ground because i've got the training kit on full head of curly hair Now, now i've never seen this picture so this is a new one i must admit it's uh i look like a totally different person really don't i you know it's amazing what hair does for you isn't it yeah, a bit sort of unkempt. I don't know whoever took that photograph, but uh, if they put it on the fireplace, that would keep the kids away from it, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say probably seventeen, eighteen, 18 in the way the training kit is and stuff like that, but uh, yeah, we'd been probably at Trouse. You know, in, I'm not sure if it was at Trouse or one of those days. In those days, the um, apprentices used to have to turn up on a Monday morning and clean the ground up at uh, Carroll Road. You know, you literally, in those days, you had grass banks behind both stands and uh, you literally got given a, a bucket and a spade said that's your grass bank and you literally had to go and pick all the grass up clean that bank up and then you then had to join said to have, um, employees due respects then some pensioners who would come in and sweep all the, in between the seats in the south stand and all that and we'd have to go and help them then get all that up into buckets just as the wind then blew it and chucked it all over again we start again but it was funny because you'd have two players who would have to go in and clean the boots on the saturday And the other six or seven apprentices, that's what we had in those days, would be out on the ground. But the worst thing was when you had to clean the toilets. And the toilets in those days were like just open air jobs, you know, and uh, the other good thing was, because when you think about it in those days, when I was an apprentice, I joined on seven pounds a week. And whenever you played West Ham, they used to throw coins and you used to double your wages because you'd walk around the track, there's 50p, there's that. You know. And you know, there were pound notes in those days, but so it was all coinage, but you'd, you'd almost like double your money on the side. Like, it was great, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> you'd fight to see if you can get in front of the bark and where the West, West Ham supporters were. So that was scary. What can I say with John Bond? I mean, he was this larger than life character. I mean, he was one of those sort of people that, you know, he walks into a room and everyone straight away, it's like, Phew. it just had that presence about him. Unbelievable coach. You know, every, every coaching session was a joy, you know, because, because it was all based on, you've got to get forward. You've got to get forward. We're there to create, we, you know. He used to say, I want you to excite me. And it's funny, actually, Argument, so I'm digressing slightly, but um, in my later career, when I was manager at Hereford, we played against Showsby and John was manager at Showsby. And I can remember looking across at the as We were both stood in the technical areas, as it were, and I can remember thinking, my goodness me, hasn't life gone in full circle? You know, there's big John Bond there and I'm here as manager. And it was it, it was surreal. One funny thing. I remember a little story that um, a good friend of mine, when I moved to Coventry in the end, uh, was a right back who'd been at Coventry and Birmingham, uh, Harry Roberts. Um, he was left back as well. And he played at Birmingham under John Bond. And he tells and how he was a bit of a celebrity in the Midlands. He actually bought his own books out and things like that because they were so funny, brilliant stories he told. And one of the stories he tells is that um, when John Bond was manager at, um, at Birmingham, he took hold of a lad called Robert Hopkins, little winger, good, good little player, nasty little so-and-so, and um, he said, Hoppy, I'll have you playing for England. He said, And Harry's book says that if John Bond had stayed at Birmingham, Hoppy probably would have played for England. He said the trouble is the defence would have paid for the Rovers' return. He said because we never did any defensive coaching absolutely no. and so in a way and, and it's quite true you know myself having come as a, from a center forward to a left back i'm always got a phone to left back so I get on with it so everything that i sort of learned as a back, i almost had to almost like just try and pick up as i went along because john bond just didn't do it he literally came in there was you know we turned up for training it was all the press were there and it was all that sort of thing john was outside and then literally we went out on the training ground and john wasn't there and he had gone and it wasn't you know normally when a manager gets a sack you know you you get the team together say lads or in his case it wasn't the sack. he decided to go to manchester city but normally you get the players in and you because you had that camaraderie you built up but john didn't he was like literally gone and it was like oh okay so what's happening now ken got the job to the end of the season um, and fun of him ken again as uh he put it when i had my testimonial he put it in it that i almost was um, <clears throat> The reason why he got the job because we went to coventry where they'd never ever won we won 1-0 and yours truly got another 25-yard volley against les silo although i did think he sort of jumped over a bus as the ball went in because i think he should have saved it but i don't know what he did but we we scored 1-1-0 and ken got the job permanently after that so um obviously i'll have to remember not to shoot from 25 yards next time I didn't play in that one again you know one of my times when I got left out of the team again I think from what I can remember but uh, no I meant because we went up there and got hammered about six I think yeah. if I remember correctly we did and I think that was the time when John tried to jump down from the director's box and more or less nearly broke his neck I think he was trying to desperately get down there because Kevin Bond was still playing for for us and I think John apparently wanted to try and console Kevin you know um, yeah, it was just one of those things you know I mean unfortunately it didn't last long enough to John because I still felt that He had a big enough character that he could have quite easily managed one of the top teams in the country. He had that, as I say, that persona about him and that confidence in himself. I think, you know, for someone like Man United, the way they historically play under Ferguson, people like, he'd have been great for someone like that because he he was a big enough character to take that on and he would have played the game in the way that they wanted the game played. You know, because I think he was one who, without a doubt, he put Norwich City on the map without a doubt. I know we got promoted uh, under Saunders in the first place back in the 70s, but it was John Bond who put Night City on the map because of his flamboyant, you know, with a big cigar and the, uh, and the sheepskin coat and things like this, you know. But he was a great character, great company. Let's get
0: um, into 1981. The, the club were relegated that yeah. season from the top flight. Like. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about what how that season was and how it felt.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a disappointing season, really, that we, um, I didn't think we were as bad as if like results suggested. I think it's one of those sort of games, but but uh, if the one game that really that sticks in my mind is probably the last game, it's Leicester. And uh, Sunderland were playing away at Liverpool. And I think it worked out, as long as we got a better result than Sunderland, we stayed up. And I can remember we went two one up, I think it was against Leicester. And I can remember the ball went into midfield and it, it filtered through onto throughout the ground, that Liverpool had gone one up. And i can remember the ball went into into um mick Mick mcguire and he passed it back to the goalkeeper from near the halfway line and i can remember which was a bit naughty because he was still a senior player and i gave him some mighty So what are you doing he says well they lose that we just got to make sure we keep this result i said yeah but what if they turn it around as it happens the actual word that came out was totally wrong because sutherland actually won one nil and we lost three two and i think jim melrose got a hat-trick if i remember correctly but um, yeah, it wasn't for want of try. I mean, we peppered Leicester that day, and unfortunately left ourselves open. Myself, and I think Richard Simmons was playing right back at the time that day, and we were just bombing on. I mean, I spent most of my time. I think it was his left winger, just trying to get the goals, you know. But it left us open at the back, and Jim Morrow's got himself a hat trick. But it's probably the most, one of the most disappointing feelings. It wouldn't say I wouldn't say the most disappointing feeling. I think the most disappointing feeling for me was obviously in '85, but. Um, at that time, it was probably the low in my career. At that time, and just disappointing because, I, as I say, I felt we were better than that. Yeah.
0: Going into '82, then because uh, yeah. now, this was an interesting season for you, wasn't it? Because very interesting. You the season, yeah. You were dropped a bit as well, so yeah. Just, just take me through what that campaign was like because you must have had a, a, a battle on at various mm. points. So.
1: It was really annoying because uh, we start the season off again and. We got to more. Or less, I think the end of September, middle of October. Uh, I funny if I've looked it up not long ago. Funny enough, I think at that time we were sixth or seventh in the league. I think with some, something like one three or something like that. One, I think we'd actually won two drawn three lost two something like that. But we were seventh in the league because it was still two points for a win in those days. And. Um, I think really this is in a way summarizes my relationship with Ken Brown in that way because I thought I was playing okay, but we, Joe Royal by then had come to the club and Joe, as you know, his big mate was Willie Donaghy. And Willie really has, ever since that time, when Joe got into management, Willie Donaghy was always his assistant. So was obviously there's a close affinity between the two, which is fine, I've got no problem with that at all. But the problem was then Ken Brown decided to bring Willie Donaghy back from America to play now, as I said, we were, at that time, seventh. We had what I call a steady start after getting relegated. I think the club, between then and Christmas, won one game. And, of course, again, like I did before, I'm banging on his door saying, you yeah, know, what are you doing to me? The the press was good for my uh, ego, as it were. Every week, you know, great downs, you know, why is he not playing and, and things like that. And I think one of the big things... I can remember we went down to Cardiff and apparently we'd gone down the night before and, and I didn't know him, and we were out and I'd just then been told in, in the team meeting at the hotel I wasn't playing. I thought, oh, another wasted trip down there. And I can remember South Arthur South, bless him, he came across the car park and i was outside at the time he came to out and shook me and says oh lady carter sends her love absolutely wonderful brilliant you're back in the team i said "Well, send the love back i'm afraid i'm not playing <laughs> and he was like what do you mean not playing and apparently in the edp the night before it's greg downs is back he will be playing duh, duh, duh. no i wasn't we lost the game one 0 and then eventually i got back in on boxing day so it's that long it's a long old break out of it and um it was not the best either we played Luton and lost 3-1 at home i thought well, that's a good start but we then went on a run where i think we only lost one in the next 19. <clears throat> unbelievable run and um, as i say it's history we got promoted i know that uh, yeah i got player of the year and i know Ken Brown was not happy with that and you can understand it as well you know he left me out for the season I come back in and, it, and we didn't get promoted because of me I mean that's ridiculous you know again I mean there was many factors confidence is a great thing in football it started going Martin O'Neill also came back to us at that time who was a major impact I must say, you know and I can remember the last day, day of the season we had the last game I think we played I think it was Charlton we played the last game of the season something like that and, um, and Duncan at that time had retired. he was in charge of the the awards and all that sort of thing. And he came up to me and said, you got Player of the Year. I went, yeah, well, right. have a laugh, aren't you? was not being funny. You don't think when you've had that sort of a season that you'd be Player of the Year, but it's something I'm very, very proud of. You know, I think, uh, again, blowing my own trumpet, I think I was one of the only few players that got every award, like the travelling supporters, the you know, this, that and the other. I, think I got five awards in the end. I got different, this the London supporters, the of supporters. And it, it was wonderful for me. And you know, I was, I uh, was, you know, i was like what 22 years of age and it was it was a great fill-up for me it sort of made you feel good you know but i know it didn't sit too well with some people goodness me look at that now the hair is now starting to go with me on a, on a pool table look at that or snooker table i'm not sure what it is at this, this point i think it's a snooker table this one again i wouldn't that again wasn't too long before i left i've got a tie on it's a bit posh to be playing snooker with a tile isn't it but you can see there, that the, the, uh, <clears throat> the barnet's starting to recede a little bit on top. So I should've obviously asked the photographer to take a different photograph here. So, uh, but no, I used to play a lot of snooker in those days. Uh, and I must've, when I went to Coventry, I played league snooker with Steve Gruzovic So my highest weight was 70. So in those days, I wasn't too bad, you know, I misspent youth. Now i would be lucky to get seven, I think, but, uh, it was something that was taken well, I got my wedding ring on, so I got I got uh, married in 1981. So I'm guessing it's around about the maybe 83, 84 period of time. But obviously it was one of those things where they go out and whether we've had a night out or some you know some sort of uh, do. The fact I've got a tie on, I must have been doing something, whether presenting trophies or doing something like that. But uh, I thought probably thought I was a little bit of a Dennis Taylor. My father had a pub in Norwich, so I used to play pool in his pub. But snooker wise I can't really remember where we played. I didn't. I didn't actually play league snooker Norwich. It was more when I went down to Coventry that I started playing if like league snooker and getting into it a little bit more. And I must be that was always because it was a Thursday night, so we used to sort of uh, say to John Sillock down at Coventry, "Are we all right to play as long as you don't drink?" <laughs> but uh, now I'm trying to remember. The, the wallpaper is great, isn't it? The flock wallpaper <laughs> on the end of it. My goodness me.
0: Just, just in an even-handed way. <laughs> uh, because obviously, I mean, you played you played under Ken didn't you, for yeah. five, five, four or five years, yeah. so just in terms of what, because both obviously huge characters in Norwich City's history in terms of managers, so how, how did they compare in terms of Ken
1: and John? Um, yeah, I mean, Ken wasn't as flamboyant as John. Um, I don't know, I mean, I think it would be wrong for me to give my personal opinion here because, as I said, I've, I've already stated, you know, Ken and I, do not we didn't really get on too well. Um, I, I don't know really, I think it's, it's, it was a strange situation. I think the, the sort of the nail in, in, the, in the coffin, as it were, between our relationship was when we won the Milk Cup. Um, it was my testimonial year and we'd had a situation <laughs> at Liverpool where... We'd played Grimsby in the quarterfinals in midweek, 1-1-0. And playing in front of me at that time was Louis Donawa. Um, <laughs> Louis and I had had a bit of a fallout during the game at Grimsby. In other words, I think it was literally a situation where we were 1-0 up. John Dean had gone down injured for some time. So there's a bit of a break in the ga- game. There's only two minutes to go. They were going to take a big long throw. So I called Louis back to pick up a fella called ford who played for them on the right and i position myself on the edge of the six yard box when he flick on and the ball come in they get the flick on i get the header away and get it clattered by ford we get it away anyway and louis is halfway up the pitch and i've said and i've had a right go at louis moore's hey you should been picking him up Do you know what i mean you should have blocked him off and things like and the other anyway it went on so we then go to straight from groomsbury up to liverpool it's one of the only games on at that time because the snow was on the ground at the time and Liverpool undersaw under soil heating. We go up there and lo and behold, literally after about 10 minutes, Louis gets the ball, lays it back to me, leaves it short with Chris Nick- uh, with um, Nickel, the fullback. Didn't block him off. I then had to come through it. I ended up having five stitches in my ankle at half time without any uh, anaesthetic because I didn't have time for it to take. And it was quite funny. I remember this drunken excuse me, not because, in fact, he's Irish, but he was a drunken Irish doctor. And I can't remember his hand it was a bit like that. I was like, I hope you get in the right place. So I had the stitches in and um, and went and played the second half. Yeah, you, know, you can't imagine that today, can you? But uh, the same thing happened on that game that, um, again, they were going to... Dip, slightly different, the ball's gone into Gleesh back to Kenny, Kenny whips it in, John Walk comes crashing in. Again, I'd said to him, I'll take the same position, you say we'd walk on the edge of the box. What happens this time, Walk comes in, crashes the ball, great header, but hits the bar. He hit it that hard, the ball bounced back nearly the halfway line. And Lewis, once again, is to 10 yards outside the box. And I've had a bit of a snap, and we ended up having a bit of a fallout, which got the pages and all that in the papers. And uh, Ken Brown, more or less, then said, well, you know, you know, you can't do that, etc. I apologise to the team and uh, it ended up that uh, I then got left out for, we then played Birmingham in an FA Cup replay, which I couldn't play because my ankle by then obviously had blown up. I then didn't get back in the side for crikey, about about six weeks and, and I had a chat with Ken Brown again, the fact that, you know, i spent 11 years here and Ken Brown had assured me that I would be playing or something be within the squad because there's only one sub then but I would be in the squad for Wembley and I thought well, fair enough we get to Wembley, we go down to Beaconsfield Hotel and then he announces on the Thursday no you're not in the squad you're not this and he brought back John De- uh, John Devine in a sub and God, good luck to John you know at the end of the day I'm pleased for him but John hadn't been in the squad since October and to suddenly get you know in mean given 11 years of my life to the club I felt I deserved some, a little bit of loyalty there, and it didn't happen. And again, what wrangled even more is, you know, again, as I say, all that time, I played in all the other previous rounds, and then got put on the bench for the two games against Ipswich, And I ended up, I didn't get a medal. I didn't get any of the bonus money. I got absolutely nothing. And then I decided, well, that's it. I think it's my time now. I think my time's run out now at uh, Norwich. Ken Brown offered me a free transfer which I was chuffed to bits with. I was only 26. and uh, But then at the 11th hour, when he knew then I was going to go to Coventry, he then turned and said, no, I want to keep you. And from a free transfer, slapped a £300,000 price tag on me. Which, again, and it does it does wrangle you because to me, that's not the way you should do business. you know, and, and I think a player deserves a bit more than that to be dealt with that way. So we had to go to a tribunal where obviously I gave my bit. And... Um, Coventry had to pay £50,000 out in the end, but uh, which well, so I was cheap, but there we are. <laughs> where are we going? There? Oh my goodness! <clears throat> well, there's myself, I'm not too sure where this at now. This one, it's obviously later in the career. Got the uh, the shirts on. I'm guessing that's almost probably my last season before I moved on to Coventry. There's Dennis Van Mike in the background there, so um me having a shop which probably hit the roof of the the End or something like that, you know, as you do. That is definitely at home, because I can now, I've just now seen the um, advertising boards which has got Withy windows on the back, so it must be at Caro because they weren't sort of a national company, as it were, but uh, yeah, I used to get on well with the, uh, the the people from Paul Withy, they were nice people. Obviously that's when uh, <clears throat> we wore those shorts that um, left nothing to be desired, as it were. <laughs> Can't get any shorter. My God, they were budgie smugglers, weren't they? <laughs> It's really when when you think the fact they're getting like twenty-six thousand every week now. You know, in those days, you know, clubs were struggling a little bit more. I think our average home gate was only about fifteen thousand then. You know, and um, but it was at a time obviously when there was a lot of trouble in the sands, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of people got put off from it. And I think also, I don't think clubs were as, I'm going to put, commercially aware of what could be gained from a football club and of course since then you've had sky come in and all this sort of thing so you've now got saturation that everybody now knows about football whereas in those days you only had match of the day or something on a sunday that was the only football you could watch you know you didn't have all this european football you didn't have games like five days a week as it were coming so it was a different era in that sense and um yeah whilst we might have been local heroes as it were but you weren't national heroes like they are nowadays you know Funny enough, I think one of the quotes that uh, one of our ex-managers, Glen Roder, I know I was speaking to one of his staff at a, a golf day once, and he used he used to use an expression that was usually used, and that was make 'em or break 'em, and it was hard like that, you know, that the the senior pros would be they were horrible to the apprentices, but it was a case of that, you know, you'd have one dressing move at trous, for instance, which was. The youth team in the reserves, and the other one was the first team. And it was a case of, I've got to get in that dressing room. Yeah, you because know, if you've got in that dressing room, you knew you got into the first team. So it was always that thing like you take the knocks and you come back, you know. And if you had a bad game, my goodness me, you knew about it. You know, the coaches' staff would rip into you. Whereas nowadays, from what I've seen and what I'm told, you know, I talked to a few friends like Big Oggy, Steve Grusvic, who's still at Coventry. You know, it's a totally different ball game now. You know, you can't have a go at the kids anymore. You know, and in those days it was it was the way it was. You know, it was a hard game, you know, and they the idea was that you that you took the knocks and you came back again. So it was a it was a different different world really. It was a very strange thing I can remember myself, Del Gordon, we were the ones who missed out. And i have to say the game itself I didn't take a lot of notice of. You know, you sit there, you got your nice grey suits on, as we did, you sit sitting sort of two rows back and I was just sort of more looking at the game and you're thinking like, you know, we've gone one up, then they've had a penalty miss and things like that, and you think, well, it's going to be our day. Um, it was a dreadful game. It was a dreadful game. But, um Yeah, they got the result, which was great for the club. And and, and I was honestly chuffed a bits for all, everyone involved. But I didn't feel part of it. You know, I can remember we went back to a hotel that night. The players who had played were drained the players who didn't, it was party time. It was like, <laughs> well, we'll enjoy ourselves. So anyway, we get something out of this. Uh, but it, it was, it, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good feeling. You know, again, as I, I said, I'd made up my mind then I was going to leave. And um, so whilst it was, I was, I was happy for the club and and the people associated with it, like Sir Arthur and people like it. Yeah, and I, I must admit, I had a lot of time for Sir Arthur. I thought he was a cracking bloke. And uh, you could tell that he loved the club and uh, you know, I'm a great believer that, you know, if you're involved in a club, you give it everything you've got on and off the field. Um, otherwise, why bother? So it, it was sad. It was a sad time for me, but there you go. Again, whether I'm wrong or not, I'm having been a manager myself, so I understand the, the pressures. You know, I was, I suppose, in a situation when I, I got the job at, um, at, at Hereford. I was probably in a, in a similar situation to Ken was when he got the job here at, at Norwich. That I'd gone to, to Hereford with John Sillat as his assistant or player coach. Um, John then decided, we literally went there in the, in the summer, John decided at Christmas it had enough and just walked away. And Morris left me holding the baby, as it were. And I always got the feeling that Again, that's just my personal opinion. Whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. But I always got the feeling that Ken was never totally secure in his job. You know, it's like if, if Ken bought a player, that player was going to play come hella high water. Because unlike today where they buy a player for £10 million, and stick him in the reserves. In those days, if you bought a player for £100,000, and I always got the feeling that if Ken didn't play him, then the board would say, well, hang on, you bought him in? Why is he not playing? We've wasted £100,000. It's just a figure out the air. So therefore, I always got the feeling then that there were certain players, and it was something that really got to me. I remember, it's funny, if you go back to eighty-one when we got relegated, all of a sudden in the press it was, it was a case of like, can we hold on to Chris Woods? Can we hold on to Dave Watson? Can we hold on to John Dean? Can we hold on to this player, that player, that player? And they're all players that have been bought in. Now, my argument to that was, well, hang on, if they're such great players, how come we got relegated? You can't show around and say it was just the local lads like myself, Paul Haylock or Richard Simmons, uh, Peter Mendham. Do you know what I mean? And it was, it, it was something I always felt was wrong in, you know, in the way that the setup was. You know, because at the end of the day, you get, we get relegated because at the end of the day, I thought we were better than the than team to get relegated. But at the end of the day, we did get relegated. And, and everyone has to take their share of the criticism for getting relegated. But it just felt that, as usual, it was always, well, it must be them. As I say, Ken Brown was going to give me the free transfer, and I had a chance going to go into Derby um, with Arthur Cox as manager. <clears throat> I could have gone to Derby, who were in Division 3, and I, he offered me three times more signing-on fee and <clears throat> a third more money per week than Coventry City did but I went to Coventry because I wanted to play top league still. And the fact that Coventry, unfortunately at the uh, Malaise of of, uh, Norwich had stayed in the the top league and it was a case, well, I'm going to Coventry. You know, I was 26. If I, I mean, Ken Brown actually said to me when he turned around and said, no, I want you to stay. He said, because you're great with the kids. I've been in reserves. He'd said, be great with the kids. He says, you know, there's probably a coaching role for you. And I said to him, I'm 26, not 36. You know, if you would have said it to me when I was, say, 32, I might have thought, well, maybe that's not a bad way of looking at it now, because it was always my intention to go into the coaching eventually. Um, but not at 26. You know, I still I still had a bit more years playing there left in me.
0: Is it fair to say that Colf and, and 87 made up
1: for that? Yeah, I must say. I, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it wasn't very... Um, Probably the nice thing I we did, but I can remember we, we actually came back after we'd won it and we played Norwich early on, probably in about the second or third game, I think, here. And, that, which was, and I think it was a boring 0-0 draw, I think, from what I can remember. And I, we were in the tunnel and Ken Brown came up to me and <clears throat> I have to say I've never been two-faced. You know, I, I've always said to people that uh, if you ask me a question, I'll give you an answer. If you've already got the answer you want, then don't ask me the question. You know, because I would give you an honest answer. And um, I thought it was a little bit for Ken. You know, he came up to me like, oh, never thought you'd win it. I said, well, that's two things you got wrong then, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it was one of those things. You know, it, it turned out great for me. And I must do it, again, not too uh, <clears throat> sort of nice on I suppose. I always say that in my own little tongue-in-cheek way, I got the big one. You know, because when you grow up as a kid, all you dream about is winning the FA Cup. And, you know, and it still still puts what's left on the back of my neck because it was still the greatest part of my footballing career. And and it was done with a group of players at Coventry. And if I made that, I think that was the difference. The Coventry team was a team of mates. I mean, honestly, apart from Big Sewell Regis, who, by the way, was the loveliest man you could ever meet. God bless him. Um, the rest of the team was, if you like, almost like, I don't know what they call them, like journeymen, I suppose, is what you call them. You know, you had Brian Kilcline klein at centre-back, Trevor Peake, who was probably read the game better than anyone else I've played. Uh, Brian who was normal right-back, came from Everton at the same time as me. They were a group of players who we got on great socially, whereas at night I didn't think there was quite that togetherness. You know, there was like those that had it and those that didn't have it almost. You know, it was that sort of way, whereas at Coventry, everyone was on a parallel and um, you know, we had a night out. The whole team went out together, and, and I think our success was built on that camaraderie because John sillott loved all that. You know, he loved the lads having a drink together, and he'd come out and join us. We just had that belief in it, and it, and I said earlier on, you know, the confidence, like when we got promoted in in '82, you know, confidence is something that it, it just rolls on with you, and all of a sudden you don't believe you can get beaten, and that's how we were. You know, before every game, here we go, we'll go again, and and it proved right that. Um, I believe, deservedly won the FA Cup. I was like Red Adair. Honestly, I I, I must have played for more, I had more clubs than Jack Nicholas, as they say. It was was a weird thing because again, I was only, I think I was 36 when I left Hereford and I still felt I had a bit of football left in me. And um, I ended up, I I think I went to Redditch where I played about three games and that was because Ian Atkins used to be manager at uh, Sunderland, he'd been released and he was playing from Just To Keep Fit and he said he rang me up one day to finish a couple of games. I went, yeah. And it's funny, it's not until when you finish your career you think, well he played for that club, that club, that club. Well he played two games just to, for a run out to keep fit. The nicest sort of season I had, I played for Mulbarton for one season. And that was to say that I could play with my son. So I played in the same team as my son for a season. And that was lovely. Crikey, there we go. <coughs> That's obviously one of these uh, games that we played. And uh, it's myself and Paul Haylock. Paul at that time had discovered Lager. I couldn't believe, it. Actually, I, looked at him. I think Paul had put on about three or four stone by then, but um, it was good to see him and again, by that time, he, I think he'd moved down to Kent, he was living around Sittingbourne. I actually played against him when I was playing for Merthyr Tidville. He was at Sittingbourne and we, so we played against him then, but uh the years go by a bit too quick. Now I think that was that was about 15 years ago now. It just got older and older and older unfortunately, but that was, it was good to see him, but obviously Paul couldn't be bothered to play that day. <laughs> It's nice when you when you meet up with people you know that you haven't seen for a long long time and you know you reminisce a little bit and you talk about what they're doing now and you talk about your careers and about oh you remember that happening and that happening and end of season trips and things like that you know which uh, can't be aired and it's it's just one of those it's almost like a camaraderie that you do get you know and and again you know I've spoken about how different it was at Coventry and, uh, and Norwich. At Coventry now, when we get together, and we get together at least once a year and we play golf and have a few beers together and everyone turns up and it's as if like we've never been apart. The banter literally starts within the first five minutes, you know, the Mickey taking out on the course and things like that because it was it was, a, it was a great time for me at Coventry and I had five years there and, you know, a bit in and out because that's the way your career goes but it was a great time, it was a, it was a place I enjoyed living in Coventry, being a Midlands lad originally. and. So it was always like for me moving home a little bit, but funny enough, my home has always been in Norfolk. So it's a bit of a contra- contra- contradiction in that sense, but that was nice because it was I was amongst people, if you like, the way I'd grown up and the people I knew in that sense, but Norfolk is where I've always loved being and that's why I came back. And I know I'll never leave Norfolk. I think the biggest question that people ask me is, you know, what made you join the police? Because there's, you know, for most people's eyes, there's something... There's nothing far so far removed, if you like, from being a footballer to being a police officer. But the problem is, as footballers in, in my generation, so we didn't get paid big money. I mean I don't mind I'm openly saying, it, like when I won the FA Cup I was on four hundred pounds a week. You know, and we got two thousand pounds for winning it. You know, Tottenham got ten thousand for losing it, which wasn't bad. But it was it was a totally you know, we didn't earn the sort of money there nowadays that even the even the internationals, when they retired had to go and work you know from that era so you look at it and you 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 apply for different jobs and the fact that i'd been manager at hereford in even at that level you're still in charge of a a half a million pound budget and you're you're hands on with people you know you've got a staff about 30 people still which you're talking to daily trying to obviously get them to be better and and you're trying to get things working but as soon as you apply for a job outside football all i was getting from people was yeah but that's football isn't it and and so you get frustrated with it. you think well i don't know maybe it's, you know, needs to start looking different things and my younger brother joined a police force and he said to me why don't you have a crack at it i thought i was too old at 39 but no so i applied and i decided um to come back to norfolk and got in and I must admit i joined with the with the, the thought that In a way, it is like football still, it should still be, that you're. it's still a team, you're still there looking after each other. I have to say, in all due respects, it's not been quite that way. Um, In that sense, it's been a little bit of a disappointment, but then, you know, I've managed 21 and a half years. Um, A lot of it I've enjoyed, a lot of it I haven't, but that's the same as anybody else in work, you know, some things you enjoy, some things you don't. Um, But now I'm, you know, I've sort of, now gone semi-retired, you know, I've uh, hit the big bad 60, and so I'm working back with the, the police, uh, but as a civilian, and uh, thoroughly enjoying what I do at the present time. My Norwich City hero. Do you know, I, th- I think, funny enough, I can remember we went on a mid-season break to Malta once and and it was dreadful weather so why we went there i don't know but it was, we only were there for about three days i remember sitting in the bar with mick shannon and mel machin and we were just discussing it because it was pouring down with rain outside and all of a sudden mick shannon his typical hampshire bro you know who's the best player you played with and i can remember saying to him that funny I've, and he, he ripped into me but i actually said at the time the best player i played with for my game and that's quite important was mick Maguire, and I can remember he was sort of, you know, Mick McGuire sort of thing. And I said, hang on a bit. You said he was the best player I played with. And the reason I said that was because Mick McGuire, even whenever Mick was having a bad game, he never hid. Every time I had the ball, he would show for the ball. And that buys you time. So in other words, I play it back to Mick. 99 times out of 100, to give it to me back. But it just bought you that extra couple of seconds just to look up and give you a bit more time on the ball. And I said, and funny enough, being on the left-hand side, you don't get too many, <clears throat> excuse me, left side centre midfielders, if you see what I mean. You know, even at at Norwich, I can't really think, apart from Graham Padden, who by the time I played with Graham Padden was then playing wide left, there wasn't too many players I could actually play one-twos with, whereas on the right-hand side, you always had players that were more comfortable playing one-twos, so invariably, I would have to play the ball into the strikers because I'd have no one else showing inside. But Mick McGuire would always show, always show, and that's why I said, he was probably the best player I played with, Apart from that, as, as regards ability, <clears throat> then I would have to probably go with Martin O'Neill. I think in the players that we had here at the time, Martin O'Neill was magnificent. You know, I think he transformed the club, his ability, the way he went past people, and his professionalism, and I have to say his humour. We we roomed together, Martin O'Neill and I. And I can remember, funny enough, the last game when we got promoted, we went to Sheffield Wednesday. <clears throat> I roomed with him. We got into the hotel moon put his bags down, and he says, I've got a taxi order. I said, well, where are we going? And Martin, I don't know if you know, but he was um, a student in law before he joined football. And he wanted to go, the, the um, Yorkshire Ripper had just been arrested at that time. And he wanted to go and see where he'd been arrested. So we had to go in a taxi. And I thought, well, I had absolutely no interest in whatsoever. But I thought, well, you're the senior bloke here, let's go, and off we went. But he was, he was, so, he was so much fun, Martin. He was, again, very, very intelligent man. And I used to love room with him because we'd end up discussing this, that, and the other, and it was, it was just nice to have someone with that intelligence to talk to. Tell us something we don't know about your night spell. Hmm. Right. Yeah, it's very hard, that really, because <laughs> as I said, I think I've always been quite an open book, really, in that sense. That uh, I don't know. I think I'd probably put a transfer request in, probably on four four different occasions, you know, because again, through being frustrated about the way it was going, I think a lot, not a lot of people know actually. I was. Um, when I finished my apprenticeship, I was actually, I don't know if it's the right word, I won't use that word, but um, I got off the chance to actually go to Ipswich as a, centre, as a centre forward. I was centre forward then, so I would played against Ipswich quite often. Of course, at that time, they had Alan Brazil in their youth team and I was in ours and, and every time we played against each other, I'd score against them and Alan score against us. But uh, when my apprenticeship came up to a, an end, um, I'd actually got the chance. Word had come to me that Ipswich wanted to sign me. At the time, obviously I was coming to 18, I hadn't had really any chance getting in the first team, and you sort of think, Bobby Robson was manager down there, and you think, hmm, maybe that might be the way forward. But in the end, and it's, and it's a strange thing, the way it's changed now because of the Bosman ruling, but in those days, a club could hold your registration for at least two years if you didn't sign. So I literally got held gunpoint, more or less, no, in fact, John Bond called me and I called my father in, and, and more or less said, he's been got at any down the road. So word had obviously got round, and um, he said, "Well, I tell you now, he's not going anywhere." And I held out because they were going to give. When you signed a, um, a professional form, by that time you are on fifteen pounds a week as an apprentice, and the club paid ten pounds a week for your digs. When you signed as a, as a pro, full pro, you were on thirty pounds a week, but you had to pay tax now suddenly and had to pay your own dig. So you're actually worse off as a pro than you were as an apprentice. And I held out to get 36 pounds a week. <laughs> so yeah, do it, 36 pounds a week. So it was different. I think it nearly ended early. I think, I suppose, this sounds very big headed, but I honestly don't believe there was any doubt that I would sign pro forms or I'd be offered pro forms. Yeah, I was leading scorer all through the youth team reserves. I got into the reserves at night at 15. I was a regular more or less from then on um, and I can remember the, the other apprentices because one by one you used to have to go and knock on the, and by that time it was John Saint he was the youth team coach, you have to go and knock on his door and sort of say, I need to have a chat, am I getting a contract, am I not and all I can remember the other apprentices saying, well are you going to go and ask or what, I went, we well, well, haven't got to have you but you've got to do it sort of thing. So sounds very big-headed but I, I knew I was going to get offered a pro contract Um I think the times then when it nearly ended I think you, you get frustrated I came back from America and you're thinking you know and then I went on loan to Torquay and that's when you think to yourself well they could have sold me to Torquay I could have turned it down and said no I'm not going because I had another year's contract but you do then think ooh, if they're prepared to sell me to Torquay is that going to be the end of my time here so that's probably the the only time I thought oh but you are always because you only ever signed a two or three-year contract as a youngster like that, when you're in and out the side, you're, you're always a little bit dubious about whether you're going to get offered another contract, and then you think, "Well, does someone else want me?" I think what, which didn't help me for health, which we've elaborated on, the fact I lost my hair early didn't help me. And I can remember—I'm being serious now—because I can remember playing in a reserve game when I was I was 25, so it was that last sort of season. And I can remember playing at Luton, and it chucked it down me the way, and I, my mother told me the story that she was up in the stand watching. Because she just traveled down from north Amps, to watch it and and someone from the crowd shouted out you know to luke play go if you can't beat that old bugger and my mother turned around and said he's only 25. <laughs> and i think that was a thing and, and and even when we got to the cup final you know in and i was 28 when, when i won the fa cup again in a lot of the reports he said the veteran greg downs i thought, 28. Well, So the fact losing your hair, I think sometimes people thought you were older than you were. And I I honestly believe that curtailed a little bit at times. Maybe offers you could have moved to other clubs. You don't know, but a lot of clubs, well getting on a bit now. We want to go younger than that. But maybe that's just me thinking that way. Who knows? Favourite Night City moment? Without a doubt, it's got to be when I won the the player of the year. it was something I'm very, very proud of. It's something I believe as every footballer to get voted Player of the Year is, is something a bit special. Um, when you actually receive the plaudits in the last game of the season, it's, yeah, again, it's a, it's a very personal sort of thing for that, you know, you're there on the pitch and you, you know, you're know you getting the Barry Butler trophy, which I've still got my, it's still up on the my shelving, as it were, in my house. I still parade it very proudly. And it's something that, Yeah, it's something that means it's very special to me, very special. And who do you miss and why? Crikey. I don't know, really. I think, um, thankfully, my mother's still alive, so that's a massive thing. Um, Yeah, I think uh, I've got one of my sons lives locally. The other one lives down in Essex. And I think I miss him not being so close at times, you know, because I talk to my... My son lives in Norfolk, we talk sort of every other day. If not, uh, my older son, who's the director of a company down in Essex, so we don't talk so often. So it's a bit, bit of a sad that, but he's got to get on with his own career, so, which is great for him. I think I miss the banter that we have with the Coventry lads, and I know that they, a few of the, a lot of the team are still local to Coventry and they all meet up once a month and go for a beer. So I miss that, if you like, the crack that we always had together. And it was, it was a special time, but uh, no I, think, um, no, I think I've been quite fortunate in my life. I've, um, I, did, I grew up wanting to be a professional footballer, and um, dreamed of winning the FA Cup, and managed to do both. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a very, very lucky man. Who don't you miss? Ooh. I don't know, again, it's not, it's, it's hard to say that. I've never, I don't, I'm not a person who holds grudges, you know, that people, things happen in life and I'm a great believer that they happen for a reason. You know, and to me, you've got to be strong enough to just move on. You know, things, I didn't like certain things that happened to me but at Norwich City, I must admit, um, and the way it was done. And as I say, I, I always felt a little bit betrayed at, at, when I was at Norwich. Um, you know, I always felt that I was, if, if you like, whenever we lost a game, leave you know, myself out or Paul Hale or something it was like the local lads who come through the ranks if it were that got left out and I always felt that was wrong because I always felt in a way that we were the ones who put more effort into it because we'd grown up with the love of the club when you get bought in you haven't quite got there but having said that I had that same outlook when I went to Coventry to Birmingham as far as I'm concerned I was employed by that club and I would do everything I could for them on and off the field and that's the way I've always lived my life you know and I've done it the same in whatever I've done you know give it 110 percent I think as time goes by when we we have meetings I will miss seeing someone like Sir Regis who sadly passed away last year um, and that was a big shock to us you know again one of the nicest men you could ever meet and um, That was really sad, you know, again, we're all getting that age now. We're all getting, you know, I'm I'm 60 now. A few of the lads are getting close to 60 and people like that, some older. But uh, we're in that stage in our lives now where, unfortunately, things are going to start happening. And uh, I just hope it doesn't happen for some time. Norwich City regret was, yeah, I think, in a way, my regret for Norwich City was, I don't know if you call it regret, but obviously it would be not playing in the Milk Cup. I think that was the biggest thing, you know, as I say, coming here as a kid, going through the ranks, as it were, climbing up the ladder, as it were, and then and then to have it taken away from me. That was that was something that really hit me hard, you know, at that time. And um, I wouldn't say I, I regret move, I don't regret move at leaving Norwich because I felt it was the right time for me at, at that time. But, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, there's, I've had a few things in my personal life that you regret that you either should have done or shouldn't have done. But that's a personal thing. And um, But again, you move on, you live with it, and you get on with it. So... You can't think about what happened, you just gotta look for the future. Was the grass greener? Yeah, it definitely was going to Coventry. Without doubt, it was greener. You know, I've fulfilled everything I wanted to fulfill. Certain things that weren't greener, I mean, again, going as manager to Hereford, I would say it was a. I got off with the job and you do it for the right reasons because you believe then if you can make success of that, you can then go on to other things. It turned out in the end, I wouldn't say a poison chalice, because maybe that's not the right sort of phase, but um, it was a never win, it was a no win situation. You know, I took over there and um, I had the lowest wage bill in the Football League. I was player manager. I had no assistant, no coach, no scout. Oh, it was fun. Um, The whole team was free transfer. There was no signing on fees. And yet I kept in the Football League for three years, still doing it that way. And I suppose the irony of it was that they got rid of me having got rid of the debt they, that when I took over, they were £450,000 in debt. And when when I left, they had no debt. So I, again, it all depends how you quantify success. I believe that I was a success there in what I did. The, the irony of it was 18 months after they got rid of me, they were relegated into the out of the football league. So um, it's hard to say, it's hard to say, but, it's, it would have been quite nice to have had a bit of help. I must admit, it's not until you finish. Apparently, I looked gaunt. Apparently, I was, look, you know, I, was, I think I was about 10 and a half stone by the time I finished, you know, because it was a case of, like, taking training every day, having to train myself afterwards, and then four nights a week going out watching games, and then play on the Saturday again, and weekend and do it again. So, and I had to take the reserves to, to matching as well, drive the coach. That was a good, good job, wasn't it? But it was, uh, but I loved it. I loved it because I've still got my love of football, i still i'm passionate about football you know if people want to talk about football i talk about it for hours on end bore the back pants off them as it were but it's been my life you know and uh, even though i've been a, a, a police officer for 21 and a half years football's still be my life and and it always will be hopefully the people that are i'll say young enough or old enough who can remember me it's been a long long time now we all move on a bit um yeah, I think I'd like to be, I suppose if you want to be remembered, you know, as a as a player, you know, I've played over 200 games here. I, I believe I gave everything I could for this club. And I think it's something that all players should do anyway. It is a wonderful club. It's, it's a, still a family club. It's still something that we all love. And it's the beauty we have here is that we've not got any competition. It's not like being in the middle of London where we've got loads of clubs. You know, we are Norwich from Norfolk. And that's important, you know, and it's our club. And it's something we've got, we've got to support them through thick and thin. We know, we, know they might, we might get relegated again this year. We don't know, do we? We're hoping not. We're, we're going to be positive and say, no, we won't. But you've got to stick with them at the times because it is a wonderful club. It's a wonderful city. And I've loved every minute here. When I played with him, he was, he was on the verge of becoming a really, really, really good player. He got a cap for England in Australia, and at the time, you know, little old Tasmanian devil as we called him, Mark Barham. I've been told he's just had his 17th operation on his knee, which is incredible to go through that, you know, because again, because he did something he loved doing. I think Mark would be great to come along here to tell his story.